0: Um, yeah, good afternoon everyone. So my paper is basically um, the, on the topic of my PhD and so I'm just presenting a part of it part of my fieldwork basically and I'm so sorry that I don't have a presentation to put up, so I will just read. So, yeah. So, is divide nation and with that it provides a unique set of citizenship rights to its uh, residents. But many a times in this process of de- deciding the territories and whom they actually belong to, people living on these margins are often the ones who are forgotten and are neglected. Government and the different political parties act in accordance with their convenience in the hour of need and barely anyone thinks about those whose houses get divided overnight. The entire question revolves around what is beneficial for the country and it is never for the people. The entire bone of contention is about which country or territory got the best deal and the voices from the fringes of the border are either hushed up or silenced or are unable to be the part of the mainstream. So in this particular paper I will discuss first the creation of the disputed boundaries and the creation of the enclaves, Uh, second uh, what motivated the inhabitants from these affected places to migrate and thirdly how the actual cycle took place and what is the present situation. So, my paper is basically um, based on the thick ethnography that I did uh, over 16 months in the enclave zones, and um, also based on the unstructured interviews and heavily recited over the archival materials that I have collected. So, the main reason behind the drawing and redrawing of the border is the conflict. Conflict takes place when the privileged group tries to take advantage over the marginalized. It is a strategic interaction and is directly linked with power and authority nexus. It is often rampant and destructive and leaves behind millions of people homeless. The greed for acquiring geographic space has ravaged many wars in the continent. In search of belonging to one certain place, which we call home, many boundaries got drawn and many countries were divided. The residues in this entire process are inhabitants of the borders, uh, this has been the case for all those who have been uprooted due to war and have been displaced internally due to various reasons. So here I would like to draw your attention to the border areas of India and Bangladesh and more specifically uh, the region that West Bengal shares with um, Bangladesh territory. So uh, there are mainly three districts that basically shares its uh, location with the Bangladesh. They are Koch Bihar, uh, Jalpaiguri and um, and the usual Pygore. But there are people who were relocated themselves in the Darjeeling district. So I kind of trace them out in the Darjeeling district as well. So I have figured them out. So uh, my paper is also based on the Darjeeling district itself. So the division of the Bengal consists of many disputes. The entire notion of drawing the border is very arbitrary and hence is poorly demarcated. It is left behind a trail of disputed pockets of land, which are locally known as chits in the local language or in English it's called the enclaves. So what are these enclaves are? So enclaves are basically a compact settlement that significantly differs from its surrounding area nationally politically socio culturally or in some or the other way enclaves as defined by the international law as has a landlocked territory separated from the mainland hence an enclave is a part of the territory of the state that is enclosed within the territory of another state so here i basically um, talk about those areas which india considers it to be it counts uh, into its territorial borderland areas but it is relocated inside the territory of bangladesh so it's a complete pocket which is belongs to india but slowly located there so and same goes with the bangladeshi territory as well so there are a lot of pockets which are located inside uh, indian mainland and it's, it's likewise versa So there are many thousands of people living in these small pockets and their identity is at stake. Uh, There is no specific census data available for the inhabitants. At first Bangladesh merged with Pakistan during the partition of India in 1947 and then in 1971 it became an independent nation. The partition had a huge impact on the influx of people but the creation of the enclaves Entire history dates back to the 1657 AD when the Shah Jahan was the Mughal Emperor and Raja pranayan was the King of Kujbihar. Raja Pranayar Narayan wrested uh, certain portions of the Mughal Empire by defeating Mir Luftullah, the Subedar of Kamru. The cat and mouse game between the Mughals and the Kujbihar Kingdom continued for almost 70 years. Thus, the King of Kujbihar happened to have some lands from where he used to earn revenues but which were surrounded on all sides. Uh, to the lands belonging to the Mughal Empire. Similarly, the Mughals also captured some parts of the Kujbihar kingdom, which later became under the rule of Nawab of Rangpur. So these lands geographically separated the Kujbihar and the Rangpur estate became the Chitmals. So there is one part of the history that says this and there's another part of the history that says that uh, between Raja uh, of the Rangpur and the Raja of the Kuj Bihar, they used to play this game of, the modern game of chess that we call, but in olden days we used to ke- say in local languages as, as Daba. So where they used to put one village in particular and then if you lose the game, so you, that village goes to the another king. So that's how the entire creation of enclaves goes. So this is another history that says about it. So the, during the partition of India, Kuj Bihar was a feudatory state. It became a part of India as a separate district of West Bengal through the Kuch Bihar merger agreement in 1949 between the government of India and the Raja Jagadipini Narayan, the king of Kujbihar Bihar then. Thus Chitmals of Kuj Bihar became a part of India but remained geographically separated. On the other hand, the Chitmals of Rangpur became a part of Pakistan uh, as the above of Rangpur decided to merge with the Pakistan but remained situated within the Indian territory. This entire partition also has the linkages with the kind of population that were following uh, Hindu as a religion and the Muslims as a religion. So the king which um, sided with the Pakistan had Muslim population in majority, and very mi- in minority they were Hindu as well and basically the Hindus came and merged with the Indian government so um, yeah it is the time when Radcliffe boundary commission was appointed as a main agency to demarcate the boundary and draw the boundary between the two nations the commission gets its name from its chairman it divided um, over uh, 17,500 square miles of territory demarcating India and Pakistan between two individual nations but Radcliffe Line was not able to properly the demarcate the nations, leaving behind a trail of conflicts. The line took no concern for sharing the resources on both the sides of the fences and resulted in a watermark dispute. Apart from the tremendous dislocation of people, frequent mass violation, violence and massive conflicts, the issue remains unresolved. In a way, Radcliffe Line was a geopolitical blunder as it failed to draw a proper boundary between the two nations and left behind numerous enclave zones or cheat mahals and a never-ending boundary dispute. The dispute is majorly um, on the Bangladesh and India borders, um, and the major bone of contentions are like 106 cheats of India and <coughs> 95 of them from Bangladesh, having a total area area of 20,957 acres situated within the Bangladesh. So the major point is that uh, Ratcliffe never went to the border areas to decide which border they should actually go through. So he just drew a line and then uh, said that uh, in Delhi that, you know, this is the line of demarcation. So I can, uh, I mean, there are pictures where the entire house is divided between in between. So one house has one room on the Bangladeshi side and another one has one room on the Indian side. So which way you go? So that's the main problem here. Um, the first influx of people came in 1947 when India gained its independence, but mostly the people were Hindus. But with the independence of Bangladesh in 1971, a mixed population came and settled the temporary base camps that were set up by the government. With these, um, their migration has never really stopped. There is a, There are horrific stories about how people have crossed the borders. Um, mainly in 1947 what happened was like because india and pakistan divided on the basis of the religion so the hindus merged with the uh, india and the muslims were merged within uh, the pakistan and bangladesh was renamed as east pakistan but there was a major uh, bihari population there were lived they have settled the basic base camps there uh, which were majorly hindus so later on uh, by forcibly or by due to different context of time and period and violence they did convert themselves in muslims but then not everyone turned up themselves in muslim so this people who um, said that they don't want to take up the religion as muslim so their entire houses were burned down like and and there are uh, history says that there have been uh, police reports where it says like entire village burned down so that means like 80 houses at one go they were all burned down so there are instances where people were very very rich at that point of time in the living on the other side of the border but they just fled their houses with nothing in their hands. So, and how they crossed the border is also very strange because there were uh, police on both the sides, so they just ran away with the herd of the cows. So, within, I mean, wearing white things over there and then just wrapping them in themselves like that. So, it's quite strange and um, it's very well documented in the archives that how they have actually crossed the border areas. So, the uh, yeah, the first influx came in 1947 and when India gained its independence. So there are horrific stories how people have crossed the borders. Due to the porous nature of the border, it is very difficult to keep a track of how many people have crossed the border. But according to one of the government documents, it is stated that there were 140 families coming from the Chidmahals who were initially based in one of the camps in Kuchbihar district. So uh, they set up different camps in 1971 in the borders, which were opened up for the Hindus to come inside the country, and they have an entire documentation of 140, and this is only a documented uh, government thing, I mean, whos re- who were supposed to receive um, remuneration or some kind of money or help from the government, but there are other undocumented as well that happen. So these are documented as government release rehabilitation package for these families which obviously never reached them, but apart from this data, there is no record as how many people has actually migrated till now. The main reason for crossing the borders are the Chitmahals are predominantly dominated by the Hindus. The Muslim uh, stated threatening, started threatening, beating, abusing, and they were abusing the women as well. So they took a control over their land, and they were burning down the village. So uh, they don't have any security, basically the most recent case of village burning was reported in 2009 in the local newspaper. The major problem with them is that it, their voices are never heard in the mainstream. Uh, and there are only very small reports that goes on in where the district newspapers are and which are mainly uh, in the local language. For, I mean, so the mainstream is just uh, stay away from the news and this fringes so it is not only the Hindus who are migrating but it is also the Muslims the main reason behind the Muslim migration is that government is not taking any interest in resolving the matter so the local people exchange their lands among themselves like if you are a Hindu and you are residing in the Bangladeshi border and you want to cross it and there are Bangladeshi Muslims who are residing inside India so they have their own kind of networking things which happens so they decide among themselves that you know you come and take your use our land and i'll go to bangladesh and use your land so in this way the hindus comes here in india and the muslims go back to the bangladesh and um, and these deals are often not legalized in a way in it but then they don't have any choice because they have already they have spent three decades depending upon the government that they will resolve this issue but they have not taken any things so their main, um, yeah, the Hindus came to India and the Muslims went to Bangladesh, and after the reaching Bangladesh, they found that the Muslims already living there started torturing them as well, because these Bangladeshi Muslims think that uh, they are not the original Muslims because they are from India, and so there is a different, uh, a different kind of culture that they practice altogether, so they they hesitate intermingling with them, so they kind of tortured them back so that they, if they go back to India, then they can have the entire land for themselves. So Thus, earlier it was thought that the atrocities were more religion-based, but my finding shows that they are more interest-based. So, what they do after coming to India? So, well, they don't fit into the criteria of refugees or the internally displaced people so they don't have much choices they remain the invisible migrants or as I like to call them as the invisible local because for me if India is counting these territories as to be its own so it should also um, take into account the inhabitants but the recent population census that happened in 2012 they have removed them and they have not counted them inside and this is not the first time they did this this is the fourth time that they are doing this because every population census is counted after 10 years. So, this is the fourth time in one go that they are doing this. Um, so i I don't like to call them as uh, invisible I mean um, refugees or these internally displaced people, but I would more on the word like invisible locals because they don't want to make themselves visible. So they pursue the menial jobs of being house workers, woodcutters, stone collectors, and para of field collectors. And they are often underpaid and as they are not in negotiating positions so they are under constant threat So many, and there is an entire village that they have set up and it's very interesting where they actually go and settle themselves up because all the uh, all the places will be occupied by the mainlands. so there is a river which shifts its course so when it shifted its course there is um, in local language we call it Chor. So these are the Chor Islands that they, uh, they move themselves in because it takes a long time when the river shifts so it's the the other part of the river that has come up. So that land belongs to no one. So they try and move into those parts of the country. So. This is where they have settled themselves up, and then they, uh, when the river uh, it has a lot of stones coming up from the uh, mountains, they just do the business of cutting the stones up, and if they fill up an entire truck, they will be paid uh, 400 rupees for one truck, and that will be nearly like 4 pounds per day, I mean for a truck. So, as the dispute remains unresolved even after three decades of the independence of the Bangladesh, the condition of the people living in these areas has deteriorated constantly. Both the governments have tried and failed up to put up a talk to the end this long-drawn dispute, but nothing has come out of it till now. With no citizenship rights, locals are deprived of the basic human rights. People live in constant threat and are vulnerable to exploitation of various kinds. The politics of the chiefs and the state government's reluctance to resolve the matter has made this scenario gloomy. Moreover, as these people are deprived of the citizenship rights, they lack their identity cards and thus the job offer is scanty for them. They are often discriminated as being displaced and are reluctant to come out in open to fight for their rights. They practically don't have any uh, access to any kind of livelihoods or proper shelter. There is no rehabilitation uh, package for these displaced and excluded people. As they lack the potential rights, the fear quotient runs high. Furthermore, as there is no law and order, no NGOs are willing to work there and hence people are living under constant threat. The security of these people, particularly women and children, are at stake. The elusiveness and the neglect on both the sides of the government has been able to worsen the issue further. Thus, people living in these states have come to uh, terms with the unique idea of being the nowhere people. Forced to abandon their homes and livelihoods, the people of the Chitmahals are often the most forgotten and neglected people in the country. And to re-establish them in one is one of the key challenges faced by the government today. They are neither internet I mean, so it becomes more difficult for them to seek protection and assistance from various organizations. Not having a citizenship right complicates their situation further. They are deprived of any kind of humanitarian assistance and are out of reach of any law and order from any country. They are no no principles or mandates for these people living on the mar- uh, margins and hence are excluded and forced to live in small enclaves without an address. Even after six decades of India's independence, there are thousands of people who have been denied the basic human rights in their very own country. India is home to thousands of refugees from Tibet, Myanmar, Ma- uh, Nepal, Rohingyas, but fails to recognize the plight of its very own people who are the partitioned victim. The government keeps on ignoring and turns a blind eye on them. Thus, the fight for belonging to a certain place called home continues. And I would like to quote one of my uh, invisible local uh, who was, was with whom I was actually putting up there. So he's now more than 80 years old and earlier he used to be one of the prominent landowners in one of the cheat mahals. Like he says, like, in my life I have seen the best of the things and the worst as well. There was a time when there were elephants and horses in my house and 20 servants all the time. But now I find it difficult to manage even two meals a day. I would have never left the place where I was born. My house was ransacked, all the expensive things were stolen and were burned down. I ran for life with my child, mother and wife. My mother died in the camp after the shock, but see, my life is still there, and I still have the hope of returning to my house one day, and it is only this hope which has kept me alive. Thank you.